practices. You know that, uh, as I shared so many times from John 17, that the purpose of Jesus while he was here on earth was to reveal the Father. Okay? And uh, in Corinthians, it talks about you and I, we have been called to be witnesses of what we have seen, uh, not witnesses of what you know. Uh, I think a lot of Christians today, they need to hear this. We are not called to be witnesses of what we know. We are called to be witnesses of what we have seen. Because many of uh, denominations today, they are built on, I know, I know. They, they even say, the Bible say this better than the other, but they, it's based upon what they know. But it's not a based upon what you know, it's a based upon what have you seen. You cannot go to a courtroom, you might have more background knowledge than any witness that is attending that, that is in that court, but if you have not seen it, you're not qualified as a witness. And it's so important that we understand that Christianity, uh, you know, that in, in, in our part of the world, Christianity is very often an opinion or a vehicle for a political agenda or a philosophy, but there is no power in it. I don't care about how much you know the word, it's Hebrew, Greek, whatever it is, or how many degrees in theology, if you cannot produce what you know. Then your knowledge is not worth anything. Knowledge for the knowledge sake is no good for anything. You can give me any recipe, and I can tell you how to cook it, as long as you don't ask me to do it. Okay, and uh, you probably all tried when we moved away from home, we're trying to cook something that we remember from home, but it doesn't taste the way we remember it because we cooked it. Okay, and Christianity is the same thing, it's not a theology, it's not a philosophy, it's not a doctrine, it is the revelation of the living God. And it's so important we understand this because faith is in a relationship with Jesus, it starts with the cross. Okay, it starts with the cross. You know, some you know some Christians say they try out Jesus. No, you don't try out Jesus. You come to Jesus and you die. Okay, because of without the resurrection power, you cannot live the Christian life. You cannot have the resurrection power if you have not died. Okay, so everything starts with the cross. And I think I, I was speaking to someone this week. And um, the first time I met Jesus, I always said, I don't think I was saved. When the first time I met Jesus, I met Jesus, but I don't think I was saved. If you ask me, does Jesus exist? I would say yes, but I do not believe I was saved. Did I say Jesus? Did I read the Bible? Yes, I said, yes, I did all these things. But the reason why I said that I did not think I was saved was because in my heart, that was not deep inside in my heart. If you asked me, I would say the right things, but in my heart, I didn't experience my need for a savior. Do, do you understand? You know, you have to you have to have an experience where you feel lost. And whatever good deeds you do, whatever this and the other do, it cannot save you. That's where you find Jesus. Because you have to first you have to know him as your savior. Then after that you know him as your Lord. Okay, but 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 it's not about. Don't you think? Uh, don't you agree with the moral values of the Bible? Don't you agree? With, don't you think Jesus is a nice guy? So, oh yeah, yeah, he's this. No, that doesn't make you saved. What makes you saved is that you come to a point where you say, Jesus, I need you as my savior. 
Lester Samuel, one of the first sermons I heard Lester Samuel preach, was it was called something like the best day in the life of Peter. And, uh, and I remember it so clearly because it was not what I expected. <laughs> what Lester Samuel preached was about that the best day in the life of Peter was when he denied Jesus three times. Or not just denied him, he cursed him in public and so on. Why was it like that? Because that day Peter came to the end of himself. That day Peter knew, I need a savior. I don't need a friend, I don't need a good manager, I don't need this, that and the other, but Jesus also were. Jesus, you know, Jesus was everything for everyone. He was charitable, he was he, he brought comfort, he, he was a healer, he was all these things. And Peter has seen all of these things. He's even participated in many of these things. But the day when he cursed Jesus in public three times or denied him in public, that was where he realized, I need Jesus, not as the healer, not as the whatever he had seen him do as the ship. I need him as my savior. Amen. And it's so important we understand this thing because if you don't have the foundation right, just in the natural, the, the most critical time in a child's life is really the birth. If anything goes wrong at the birth, it can follow the child for uh, up, uh, the rest of their life. And it's the same thing in the body of Christ as we as believers that we have to understand our foundation is not our good deeds. It's not my knowledge. It's not my intellect. It's not my whatever opinions, Christian opinions or whatever it may be. It is, have I met him at the cross? Amen. It, it is so important we understand that because once you have met him at the cross, you know, like Peter, who was scared of a young girl who confronted him in public, church tradition said that that man got transformed. But when he was uh, crucified in Rome, he said, I'm not worthy to die as my master. So they crucified him upside down. But before that, the story goes that he was on his way out of Rome. And Gabriel appeared to him on the road out of Rome, and Gabriel said to him, I need you to go back to Rome. And he actually voluntarily went back in and he knew he was going to be crucified there. You have to understand that was, you know, that's why where you find the power. You do you find the power at the cross. You don't find the power in your knowledge or in your opinions, you find the power at the cross. That's where you find the power. People can know every healing scripture in the world and not get healed. I have seen people who don't know even that Jesus could heal, but they came to Jesus and said, I'm lost, and they got healed. Okay? I'm not saying knowledge is wrong, just don't rely upon it. You know, when the Bible talks about in Corinthians that knowledge pops up, but love edifies. The first church I attended, they always talked about that was secular education. No, it is spiritual uh, Christian knowledge. We can sometimes delude or deceive ourselves to think, I have read every book about healing, so I know everything about healing. No, we don't learn about re by reading, we learn by doing. Okay, many, you know, the, the, the guy who introduced me to, me to the word of knowledge, which was an old man at the time, very eccentric man, he was a little, I mean, he always ran around, every time I saw him, he always had this, huge wooden cross around him, but I'm telling you, he could really operate in the word of knowledge. And when I remember he said to me, when he started out in the healing ministry, I think he was a farmer, and he started out praying for the cows, and they died. But you know what? It was by him start doing it, he learned. 
You know, you can read every healing book, you don't learn. You get information, but you don't learn. Okay? The way he started learning about healing was when he started doing. The way I started learning about healing was when, when I came to England, I was doing this healing school twice a week, and I remember that not many people, actually most of these diseases, I'd never even seen them before. I, most of them, I didn't even dare touching them, but it was in doing it, I learned. I remember still that this, the first time I saw a woman, and she was a Caucasian, so that, was, that always looked even worse, that had liver cancer. I'd never seen anyone like that before. She was completely yellow. And that was the first time, I, I, you know, I'm telling you, I, I didn't even dare putting hands on her in, in case my hand got yellow. I was really, it was really, but you know what? It's where you learn. You don't learn by just memorizing scriptures. It's not about that I know that the Bible says, I know that the Bible says, you know, that, that's what our Christianity is in our world. You see them all over Facebook, internet, whatever, about this one and the other. No, it's what you do. It's what we do. James says, I show you my faith by what I do, not by what I know. Okay? It's so important we understand that we are not, we are, we are, we are not an intellectual society. We, is, we are not a philosophical society. We are not a, even a, a theological society. We are a family that is, that is bound together not by knowledge, not by doctrine, but by blood. Amen? You know, the, the blood of Jesus. No, but this is where you have to understand that when you die, you literally die. When you meet Jesus, you literally die. The old that is gone. And the more you realize that the old is gone, now your loyalty is to Jesus above everything else. Okay? When you realize the old person is gone, you are free. Yeah, I'm telling you, most pastors, they spend so much time so-called counseling people who are still struggling with the old person. All we need to re have a revelation of is that old person is dead. You know, the dead collector don't come to your funeral and knocking at the coffin and say, you not paid your mortgage this month. Okay? Because why? The moment you die, you're dead free. Amen. You want to be dead free? <laughs> oh, I'm not sure now. We can, but you know what? The freedom in in the body of as a Christian is found in the cross, because of the devil try to keep that old person alive, and the way he does it, he plays with your imaginations, he plays with your emotions, and he plays with your circumstances and your own history. Okay, and all these things that I just mentioned, they die at the cross. You, that's why when we talk about that you become a new creation. You don't owe anything to the old person. Amen. You have to understand, that's God. If, if the devil, you know, like when, the devil, have you noticed the devil always tell, defines you by your past? Okay? He, he always tells you, you are like this, why am I like this? Because you did this, that, that. He defines you by your past. But there's one thing good about the past, is past. And, and one of the weaknesses of the flesh, we are trying to undo our past. And yet we know we can't. 
Oh, we think we looking back and say, oh, if I touch with no, there's nothing you can do about it. But you cannot change your past, but you can change your future by not letting your past define your future. And when whatever you have done, whatever it doesn't really matter, when it comes to the cross, you just from that moment on is gone and dead. I met many people who say, yeah, but I'm like this, or I'm like that, and I'm this, that. And when I'm very often asked, uh, when you, uh, how did you come to that conclusion? And it's because of something in their life before Jesus, which is non-existent, because it's crucified. No, Jesus, when, when Jesus died on the cross, he, he died as the Son of Man. Okay? He died as the Son of Man. Three days later, he was resurrected as the Son of God. He didn't get resurrected as the same person. He, you know, he was so transformed that Mary Magdalene, who had been so close to him, with this, she could not recognize him because there was that transformation. He didn't refer to something in the past because it was gone. And it's so, it's, the Bible talks about that we die with Christ. It was not just Jesus who died upon, upon that cross. You and I, we died there too. But it was not just Jesus who got resurrected. You and I, we got resurrected too. Do, do you understand? We have to learn that we are not natural beings. We have to understand we are not improved so-called human beings. When you meet Jesus, you become a new creation. You become <coughs> what the Bible talks about. If you read the Hebrew and Greek, you become an Elohim, a spiritual being, not a God, an Elohim. You're not uh, you're not of this world anymore. You're not you're not in this world anymore. You are from the kingdom of God, and it's so important we understand this is our reality because the devil has been very successful in uh, at least. Okay, we say okay, you are Christian. Okay, 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 but. When, but he, when he still wants you to get trapped in your flesh, or you are more improved, or oh, they're Christian, they're really nice. You know what? But it says nothing about in the Bible that if you're a Christian, you should be nice. That's just normal human behavior. But the Bible does say that if you are a new creation, you should act like Jesus. Amen. And this is why, you know, in the early days, we were not called Christians. No, Christians means anointed. This is the Greek word Christ, but we didn't translate, but we just imported it. Okay, so Jesus, he is not, so Christ is not the last name of Jesus. Do you understand? This, Christ means the anointed one. So, so when you read Jesus Christ, so he says Jesus, the anointed one. In the early days, the church was, the believers, we were called, the way we defined us, say, are you following the way? Do you understand? It was only in Antioch they started calling us Christians. And it was not because they liked us. It was in terms of mocking. Because oh, they, they, oh, they all behaved like little Jesus. Little Christ. That's how. So the, why did we do that? Because they were anointed as Jesus were anointed. You are anointed as Jesus is anointed. The only reason for why you don't feel it, it's because you are not acting upon it. Or you let the devil convince you or trap you in your past history. 
and say, oh, but you can't do that because you are like this, or you can't do that because you are like that. How can he tell you what you are? You don't. You just started out on a new journey. You don't even have a history yet. And yet he tells you who you are. That is a trick that he does because he, he, it appeals to our emotions. It, you know, it, it, we can reason with our face, yeah, 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 I am like this, or I am like that, or whatever. No, you are not. You know, the Apostle Paul say, I don't even judge myself. Let God judge you. And now judge does not mean in terms of going to hell or heaven. No, let God define you. Let God tell you who you are. Let God's word have the authority that is stronger than your own. So if you say you can't do it and God say you can, who are you going to believe now? And you know, but uh, even in natural uh, physical exercises, they always say your brain stops before your body. Which means that your brain will tell you you can't do it, but you can actually do it because your body still has the capability to go beyond what your brain tells you. But because many of us, we believe our brain, so we stop. That's why you need an instructor. That's why you need uh, a taskmaster, a, a trainer or a coach to override what limitations you have in your mind. Okay? So you are a new creation. This is the first and basic thing you have to understand. You know, that when we talk about, you know, when, when I say, for example, God wants to prosper you, I'm telling you, everyone, every Christian will say yes and amen, but in their head, they already have a limitation because they define for themselves what it means to be prosperous. I'm telling you, there is no limit to the prosperity of God. And I don't care what circumstances you find yourself in, God wants you to prosper. This one, me 28.8, it talks about whatever God says to the Jewish people, whatever you lay your hands to, he will prosper. Amen. And I've been telling you, and, and if you don't believe me, you can just look at the Jewish people. I'm telling you that every time the Jewish people have gone under a massive persecution, God prospered them. It starts even in the book of Exodus. You know, they've been in slavery for 400 years in Egypt. And I, I was listening to a Jewish rabbi, and it, uh, it's actually interesting uh, that um, that all the guys, according to what they, that all, God destroyed all the uh, uh, idols in Egypt apart from one. And that was the God of money or prosperity. And uh, so they fought the Egyptians, but that God was the one who was the strongest. So when they came to the Red Sea to persecute, uh, to take the Jew, uh, to kill the Jewish people there at the Red Sea, they brought all the goods. So all the goods that the Jewish people could not carry, you know, when God said to him after all, the first one was die, God said to the Jewish people to go to the Egyptians and get all the gold, gold and silver, but they didn't carry all of it. But the rest they couldn't carry. The Egyptians brought to them because they thought that God was going to be on their side. No, they were under persecution and they prospered. Okay, you know, in, in, in traditionally Jewish, uh, what the Jewish people were doing is was tailoring, jewelry, mining, and banking. Yeah, that comes from. Have you ever heard the word the Spanish Inquisition? It was when the king of Spain. Uh, if you are a Jew and you did not convert to Christianity, you will lose everything, even your life. 
and uh, and those who survived so but at that time also so those who were not really with uh, who survived it they were only allowed to be in three areas of work it was tailoring mining jewelry and banking because of tailoring it was like humiliating because tailoring was like a woman's job I and mean, it was nice to see men doing this uh, mining was too hard labor uh, dirty labor and banking you were not allowed to take interest rate as a christian Okay, so the Jewish people could do these three things, and yet now they made all these three things successful. You can't go to an investment bank in America where it doesn't have a Jewish name. Okay, you know, in, in Leeds, and now we, I don't know, uh, most of the tailoring company, you no, know, close companies, it used to be in Leeds, in New Yorkshire here, Burton, you heard of it, Marks and Spencer, and all, they're all Jewish. Okay, with jewelry, every jewelry shop you'll find in UK more or less, they're owned by Jews. And what it tells me is about, you know, whatever you lay your hands to, you shall prosper. And I'm telling you, you are under a better covenant than they are. Because their covenant with God is that they are the people of God. You and I, we are the children of God. Which means their relationship with God is like, the relationship you have with your boss. Do you understand? But our relationship is how your relationship is with your father. It's a different relationship. Do you, so as a boss, you are rewarded according to what you do. Okay? As the children of God, we are rewarded according to who we are. That's why when you read in the New Testament, that every time you, you know, what is a uh, Hebrews 6.12 is a through faith and patience you shall not it does not say receive it's a it says inherit there's a difference for receiving and inherit because inherit talks about relationship blood you do, you know you don't re, you don't inherit from someone down the street unless they put something in when because they, they, there's not enough cats they can donate their money to so they find you will put the but inheritance is because of blood. And you have to understand when the Bible talks about blood, covenant, and this is something, again, we don't understand in the Western culture. There's so many things we go wrong in our teaching, in our understanding, because we don't understand Hebrew culture. So many, you know, I, as I said, I, I dislike when preacher says the Bible is a manual. No, no, no. You just degraded the word of God into something worldly. No, the word of God is alive and sharper than any two-edged sword. Do, do you understand? The Bible is not, it's not a manual. Why is it like that? Because when you, when, when you read a manual, you have a choice to read it or not. With the word of God, you know, when the Bible does, even the word of God does not say to us, that if you feel like it, you can receive Jesus. The Bible says that God now commands all men to repent. It's not an option. It's a, you know Why? If it was an option, you cannot disobey. Okay? Any, you know, no one goes to hell uh, because of, they should. Everyone goes to hell by their own choice. Everyone goes to heaven by their own choice. It's not like you're ending up in hell like, oh, it's a mistake, I'm here. No, no, it's by choice. 
Because God said, now God commands all men to repent. You know, you have to, it, 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 it's a covenant. It's, so when the Bible talks about blood, it does not talk about your biological family. That is water in terms of biblical terms. That is where the phrase comes, blood is bigger than water. Because the covenant is stronger than your biological thing. That's why, that we, you know, like for example, the first direct, you know, when <coughs> with Osama bin Laden, that the Americans in the West, we could not understand why the, the, the head of the Taliban in Afghanistan, why he would not give up Osama bin Laden when the American asked, they, they knew he was there, they could see him, and, uh, and they didn't understand this thing about when the Americans said, you know, just release him to us. But because of the culture is that when you invite someone in your house, in England they used to give you, when you start visit, when you visit someone in olden days, they gave you bread and salt. And that meant now you are under protection of that house. You know, you see it also in the Bible, if you don't, that will give you an understanding of why Lot did give his daughters to the people in the city instead of giving the angels. It was because once you have invited someone under your roof, these guests are more important than anything else. That word cannot be broken. It's more because now you invited them into your house. Now they are the most important thing. And this is something we don't understand in Western culture. And this is why that we misunderstand our relationship with God. But, and, but the Western, so they could not understand why he would not give up Osama bin Laden because of that was the culture. So you have to understand that when God says that he will never leave you nor forsake you, he will protect you, that goes beyond anything because he had given his word. Now you're under my protection. Okay? When, when, when the covenant is strong, you know, that's why the relationship between King David and Jonathan Jonathan's relationship with David when they made a covenant was closer to King David than it was to his own father, King Saul. Why? Because the covenant blood has been shed. Do, do, do you understand? This is where the covenant cannot be, you know, we, we translate into it, a covenant is like a contract. No, it's not a contract. It's a covenant that cannot be broken. And this is where our covenant was cut. On the cross, it cannot be broken. But if we keep working in this thing about, or we, we, we translate blood, thick and water into our biological family, and then <coughs> and then the friends down the street or whatever, you go, it will affect your way to understand God. So, so the devil just needs to put enough pressure upon you, and then you falter if you're not established in that. And the way you, you know, it's so important you understand that the Bible is a, a blood book. It's written in blood. It's not, it's not an interesting book. It's not a theological book. It is, it is a covenant that is written by blood. Okay? And it can never be broken. It, you know, when God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, that is a covenant promise. Okay? When he says, I will look after all your needs, that is a covenant promise. There is no question about it. In a covenant is that Everything that God has, it, it becomes yours. And everything that I have, become, become his. 
our life intertwined into one. That's why we use phrases like, I am in Christ. Why? Because you could not be able to see the difference between you and God. But we in the Western world, we like to define ourselves not in God, but with God, so to speak. So it's like me and God. So no, it is you in God. It is so important. We don't come to Jesus so that we can have a life. We come to Jesus so we don't so that we lose our life. The Bible says that he who loses his life shall find it. It's so vital, you know, that Christianity is very often presented to, oh, you tried Buddhism, you tried this and you tried that. Why don't you try Jesus? No, we, we don't try Jesus because we cut a covenant with Jesus. And you know, but in the, now we don't show these things anymore. But when I was young, we used to make Western movies. Now we move, all the movies about Afghanistan, whatever. But when, but, but the native Indians, one of the things we did, we called covenants. And, and a covenant, there was always a sharing of blood. And that meant basically your life becomes my life and my life becomes yours. And now that was it. And it's so important we understand that we also with Jesus, that our lives are one. But many of times because we, we read the word of God and we find it difficult to understand how can that happen because we, we still see ourselves, we still build our identity apart from Jesus. But where you have to have your identity in Jesus. Because the covenant has been made. And I'm telling you, nothing can separate you from that. But you need to let go of the old person. That is the old, the, the, the old person is the biggest hindrance for your breakthrough. Because the old person, if you still cater for that, will affect your way of thinking will affect your decision making when you are under pressure, will affect how you discern things and whatever, you need to let go of it completely. You need to let go of, of your impossibilities, your limitations, and what you can and cannot do, but say, I am in Christ. If God says I can do it, that's it. I can do it. And God says, whatever you lay your hands to shall prosper. Amen. You know that this poverty gospel that had been preached so many years, you know, the, the devil just enjoys it. Why? Because he knows as long as you are living in mediocrity, in poverty, you're not going to transform anything. You're not going to, you know, in anything, it's not the one who's the most gifted who's going to come through. It's not the one who is the most charismatic who's going to come through. It's the one who has an abundance of supply. I'm telling you, is the one who has the abundance of supply who will come through. And that's why that Jesus says that all your needs are met according to his riches in Christ Jesus. You know, but we, we don't, you know, if you ever ask anyone about their vision or their dream, I never heard such a thing as a cheap vision. And if it's a cheap vision, basically it's not from God. Just like anything that God tells you to do will always be impossible. Because if it was within your skill set, within your giftings or whatever, he didn't need to tell you. Okay? That, that, you know, that should just come as normal. So, <coughs> so it starts with the cross. That's the foundation. That I uh, started with, I died with Christ. 
but now I'm also resurrected with him. The old person, I owe nothing. I owe nothing. And then the moment you get rid of that, the moment you get rid of that, you close the major door for the devil to attack you. Because what is the devil's, you know, there's two, two names the devil has. It is the accuser. Okay? He's not going to accuse, he can't accuse you for something in the future. Just like you, you can't put people in prison for something they're going to do in 20 years' time. Okay? He will accuse you of something in your past, but the past is gone. Okay? The and then the other name is he's deceiving. So he's trying to make you think that the past is alive. But it isn't. I think, you know, one of the persecutions, you know, that I don't know, but this is, this is what I sometimes think about Paul. I think Paul was a hot-tempered man that sometimes spoke before he was thinking and that sometimes helped him. Can you imagine Paul when he rebuked Peter, the Pope, for eating with the Gentiles? No, no, for not eating with the Gentiles, sorry. He spoke very quickly. And I've, everywhere Paul went, it was where to provoke his flesh. Okay? But what did Paul understand? He understand, my grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. What was his, what was his grace? He hold, held on to, I am a new creation. That thing that is accused of, that's not me. That's not me. I am a new creation in Christ. Amen. It is so, so important today. Don't go and look, be, because many of the people on the, uh, what you see on, online, they cater to your flesh. They preach a, a message to your flesh. Oh, how to become better. Uh, give you, uh, they preach a Christianity that gives you an event. Come and have a good time. Be, uh, come be excited or whatever. No, you need to understand that is not Christianity. Christianity is, I realize my need for a savior. That's where you find the power. You don't find the power in an event. You don't find the power in entertainment. You don't find the power in anything but the cross. And to find the cross, I have to die. It's not even emotional. It's not even something that because you know that you can. I I have been to meetings where oh they they can really drum up an atmosphere, but there's no anointing. Okay. There's no anointing. They, they might have a good time for your flesh. Oh, they have all their gimmicks and whatever. But there's no anointing. And it's the anointing that is needed. Not an event. I, it's not even, you know, but as I said last Sunday, charity goes without saying. Okay? That is, not, that is not our focus. Our focus is to preach the gospel. To preach the good news to the poor. To heal the sick. And to deliver the uh, oppressed. That's our message. The charity thing is, goes without saying. That can, that, must, that can and must never be our main aim. Jesus did a lot of charitable things, but it was not his aim. You know, that, when you, say, when, you know, remember when Judas, he was asked to go out, the other disciples, for, oh, he's just going out to give money to the poor in the middle of the night. Why did we assume that? Because Jesus had done it so many times. But if you read the Gospels as a whole, you don't see a lot of that mentioned. 
because it was not the focus, it was not the aim. The aim was to preach the gospel, to heal the sick, to reveal the Father, God as the Father, to set his captives free. Amen. That's what it was about. Now, love is it just about having a good time. No, it is about introducing people to, because our charitable giving, our charitable deeds will not save anyone. It might entertain them, but that's not what we are here for. If you want to be entertained, go to the cinema. Okay? If you want an event, go to this fun fair or whatever. But if you want to be transformed, if you want eternal life, that's when you should come to church. Because this is what we are about. Not, not anything else. All the other things is secondary. But the reason for why I mention it is because very often secondary becomes primary. And that becomes dangerous. So everyone can be busy about this, that, and the other, and thinking we are serving Jesus. No, now you just put a Christian label over that will work. And you're not serving Jesus. Because the Christian work is to be witnesses of what Jesus has done. To be witnesses of what I have experienced with him. That is what the witness is. And I think there is a huge, huge, huge obstacle that you and I we need to understand that even for many Christians, that God is not your problem. God is not God is not someone who needs to be pleased. God is not someone who needs to be uh, that we we have to behave in the right way and so on and so forth. It is that God is pleased already because of the sacrifice. That is our message. Now, how do you respond to it? It's not a message where you can just go out and do whatever you want to do because I can promise you one thing. If you have, if you have experienced the grace of God, if you experience the cross over your life, you will not go out thinking about how can I sin today. Okay? When you have seen the abundance of grace of God in your life, I promise you, you will not go out and think about how can I go out and sin. Okay? If, I heard that phrase many times, but this is again... This is a theological and a philosophical angle which is in the natural. But I'm telling you, someone who has truly seen the grace of God will never be the same again. You know, one of the most loved hymns, even the world using it, but they only use it for funerals and with amazing grace. If you read the words, it's not about funerals. The guy who wrote the song, he was a slave trader and when he met Jesus, that's why I say, well, once I was blind, now I can see, and so on. And, and, but the thing is that he had an abundance, he, a grace poured upon him. Do you think he ever thought about being a slave trader again because God is gracious? No, because he had experienced the grace of God. He had experienced him as his savior. You know, in the world, we think amazing grace is about a funeral. Have you noticed that? Every funeral in the world, they play Amazing Grace. Every movie you're seeing, they play Amazing Grace as a funeral. But it's actually about life. That song or that hymn. That is about life. And everything about God is about life. It's not about uh, maintaining. It's not about entertaining. It's, not, it's about transformation. You know, but you and I, we and don't say to yourself, oh, I'm too old. Or this, I'm telling you, in a in a short space of time, God can turn your life into beyond what you can imagine. Okay? If God said to Lester someone when he was 80 years old, and he said to him, now you're ready for what I asked you to do. Everything else was just preparation. 
And I'm telling you, that man have done amazing things up until then. What has so God has plenty of things. As I said to you lately, that the most important, most valuable thing after salvation you receive from when you become a new creation is time. Okay? You have to understand time is natural. Time is not uh, spiritual. Time is natural. There is no time in, in heaven. Time was introduced in Genesis chapter 1, where God says, where the big lights will shine in the daytime and the little light in the nighttime. That's where God introduced time. That shows us time is something that is of this world. But again, remember, we are not of this world when we become born again. That's why you have all the time in the world. So when you're reading in Hebrews 6 about through faith and patience, you know, we, many people they read the word patience from a secular point of view, from a worldly point of view, something like, oh, I'm impatient, I can't wait, I can't wait. You have all, but, but that's because you still put yourself under the limitation of this world. But you are not under the limitation of this world because you are a new creation. And in heaven, there are plenty, there's no such thing as time. Do you understand? There is no such thing as time. And that's why you can't grow old. Amen. There is no such thing as, so no birthdays in heaven. Because there is no such thing as time. Okay? Time is a physical, natural thing. And, and that's the most valuable thing after salvation you receive. Now you are not limited by time anymore. Uh, you know, everything in the world we're living in is, time is the most valuable thing in the world. The most valuable thing you have in your life is your time. But now, when you become a new creation, you have an abundance of time. Because you're no longer under the restraint of time. Because now, you are an spiritual being. Amen. You are, an, you are not, you are not, so that's, and you will see, that's where your strength is towards the devil. The devil, who Corinthians says, is the God of this world, not of the spiritual world, of this world. He is limited as this world is limited. That's why you, every time you see interaction with the devil, there is always a limitation for him. In the book of Job, every time there's something with Satan, he can do this, but there is a limitation. There is a bar. There is a limit. Why? Because time limits you. The, the temptations of Jesus, when he came to the third temptation of Jesus, it says, now he have run out. Okay? That's why whatever you think, the only thing you need to do, I don't quit. Because I have all the time in the world. The pressure of time comes, does not come from heaven. It comes from this world. Not from heaven. Because there is no limitation. I have an abundance of time. You know, midlife crisis, uh, biological clock, and all these things. Have you know, these words are all connected to something about limitation or lo losing out. But there is no such thing as that in heaven. Amen. There is no such thing. So, you, so when you are facing something, patience is not a difficult thing. 
I mean, they will, will put up a deadline and you have to do this, that, and the other. Forget it. I'm not under that deadline. Why? Because I'm no longer subjected to time because I'm an eternal being. Don't put that person, oh God, you, have, you need to come through by two o'clock. No, don't, because the, the only thing you do by that mindset, you're pulling yourself out of the spirit and into the natural and trying to fight a spiritual battle in the natural, with natural means. And it will never work. All you need to do is just keep your eyes upon him. Keep your eyes upon him. Keep your eyes upon him. Abraham was uh, nearly 100 years when he got Isaac. Okay, what did he do? He did not consider his own body. He did not consider anything in the natural. Can you imagine how many people who would have said to him, Abraham, Sarah, you are too old. You are too old. You are far beyond this. But what, what, what it means, they did not put themselves under the limitations of this world. They stayed in the spirit. And that's why what patience do to you is it keeps you in the spirit. It's impatience that pulls you back into, I must do something, I must do something, I must do something. That's the flesh. I must do, no, no, you, through faith, trust in, trust in him. Trust in him. As long as you trust in him, you stay in the spirit. But in the moment I become impatient, I lose my trust, and I move into the natural, and try to fix it from the natural, manipulate things and whatever, and now you're fighting a spiritual battle on the devil's battleground. And we cannot win there. Our victory is in Christ. Amen. And so what if this man and brother, and he paints up also, also says you need to, no, you just need to focus upon Jesus. Amen. Just need to focus upon Jesus. Time is on your side. You, you know, the, the, the moment you become a spiritual being, Time is never, no longer your enemy because now you're not subjected to it. You know, I need to do it because time is running out. No, time is not running out. I have plenty of time. I have plenty of time. If what I don't make, manage to do on this side, I will do on the other side because I have plenty of time. So don't, don't, don't be pressurized by time because you have an abundance of it. Why? Because you are a new creation. You are a spiritual being. Amen. It's so important because many of us, we get deceived by the devil and we get forced in to do things you know, that, that, that had caused, was caused by impatience and repaying. Very often we pay interest of it many years later because we want this now, whatever it is. But through faith, just trust God. Just trust God. Just trust God. Amen. Okay. So, so in in uh, Acts one nine to eleven, this is after the ascension of Jesus, and he says here. Uh, yeah, I'll just start with. I'll just start reading from this. Verse 5. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. 
When they therefore will come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Now, what we are asking here is the biggest issue today in the body of Christ in the Western society. The disciples were still thinking of Jesus as a political figure. You know, but like what you see that Christians, you know, I grew up in Denmark, they say, oh, if you're a Christian, you can't vote for this and you can't vote for that and you have to vote for this, that and the other. You know, in America, is a, a lot of so-called Christians who say, hey, Donald Trump and this, that and the other. You know, this is to bring things into a natural. You have to understand, when you hear now, when you hear the, the phrase born again in America, or if you hear the phrase evangelical in America, that does not mean you are saved. It's, it's like, it's saying to that if you hear someone say, I'm an Anglican, or I'm a Catholic, that does not necessarily mean that you are saved. This is a label they put on to say, I belong in this kind of area. There are people who are born again, but it's not a, thing that we started the way we use it in America that they say uh, if you are an evangelical or whatever you know you have evangelicals who bomb abortion clinics you know, physically bomb them this is not Christian no matter how much you're against abortion clinics you don't bomb them okay you get them saved but you have to say so 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 don't assume just because that you have you I'm this well and the other but now, that is the same way we use the word where you come from, okay? So, so when, uh, so, so when they therefore were come together, they asked for him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? They were looking for a political thing, a, a political messiah, a, someone who would be a king. <coughs> they didn't understand that Jesus, he was a king, not of this world, okay? But that was what we. But that. But that, that's why that the Jewish people they could only know God from the physical. They couldn't know Him from heart to heart, from spirit to spirit, because their spirit was not born again. Do you understand? So the way they interacted with God was through do and don'ts. That's why you see in Old Testament it says if you do this you get rewarded. If you do that you won't get rewarded, because their interaction with God was through their deeds, just like. If you go to work, at the end of a month, you get your salary. If you don't go to work, at the end of a month, you get no salary. You're rewarded according to what you do. Okay, you can't just call them and say, ah, smile, ah, yeah, yeah, you know, you always like it. If you're not working, no, no salary. It doesn't matter how much you smile, how nice you are. No work, no pay. Okay, you are interacting with your workplace according to what you do. As I said again, we interact with God not according to what we do, but according to who we are. Okay, so 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 don't be caught up in everything. Don't get caught up and say, "Oh, this is the beginning of Armageddon, the war of Gog and Magog." What you hear now? I'm telling you, as a 30 years in the ministry, I heard it so many times. Now, I, I, when I say it like that, I feel like I'm an old man. I heard it so many times, and. It, it's not. There are so many people who still need to hear the gospel. There are so many people who still need to be saved. Okay? You have to understand that these things have happened over and over and over again. Can you imagine, you know, in 1930s when the Holocaust was around, they would have said the same thing now, the persecution of the Jewish people and so on. They say, 
And, but that was not the end. Actually, that was the beginning of the nation of Israel. Out of, this is what was prophesied is it Ezekiel within the dry, valley of the dry bones. Where in the valley of the dry bones, uh, after the ashes of Holocaust, the nation of Israel was reborn. Isaiah says, can a nation be born in one day? And it did. 14th of May, 1915, 15th of May, 14th of May, one of these days, 1948, the nation of Israel was declared. Okay? Can a nation be born in one day? And history has shown, yes, it can. Which the father had put, no, and, and he said unto him, now notice his answer, it is not for you, it is not for you, it is not for me. And he said, it is not for you to know the times of the seasons which the father had put in his own power. Basically, don't focus upon it. Okay, again, this end time teaching, it's a deception, I believe, in a way to make you believe that you are in faith, but you're not in faith. You're just, you are in opinions. And you know what, when you come to end time teaching, anything goes. Because who are we, I can say, if you have an opinion, I can't tell you that's wrong, because I don't know. I can have an opinion, you can't say I'm wrong, we don't know. But here God says, only the Father knows. And you have to understand that this is connected to, you know, at the moment we are engaged, so to speak, to Jesus. Okay? And you have to understand in the Jewish culture, when a man gets engaged, now he goes home to his father's house. And now the son starts building an extension to his father's house and only the father knows when that extension is ready. That's why Jesus said, only the father knows, I don't know. So, so that's why it amuses me that when Jesus said, I don't know, only the father knows, but the prophet in America knows. Oh, I got a dream. You know, the, the most famous person who had a dream, and he only he he only used it as a paraphrase. Well, that was Martin Luther King. I have a dream, but every you know so you know, so I you know God will not reveal these things to anyone, but because you have to understand when Jesus returns, it's a wedding feast. He he comes for his bride. He doesn't come for an institution. He has to come for his bride. So now, so when, so when a Jewish man at the time got engaged, he goes home and built extension to his father's house, and he just keep building, keep building, keep building. The father until one day the father comes out and say, "Now it's ready." That's why Jesus says, and you know, this is a King James version of it, but you know, it says that in the kingdom, in my father's house, there are many mansions. No, it's not a mansion. There are many rooms. Okay? And Jesus, he is building. And one day the Father says, now it's ready. Now notice, the readiness is not based upon what happens outside of the sun. So we cannot discern 
God's plan according to what the devil does. And what we see at the moment is the work of the devil. Don't discern anything by the devil. The devil, God doesn't, you know, you know so I, I, I'm glad I've not heard it for a long time now. Someone said, oh, I met a guy, he said, oh, yeah, I, I broke this. And then I ended up in hospital. And no, so God broke my whatever. And so I ended up in hospital so I could learn. No, God does not need to use the devil to teach you something. The Bible says he uses the word and the Holy Spirit to teach you. Just like when we had children, babies, we don't tell them, take a screwdriver, put it into an electricity socket, and now you will find out that it, you shouldn't do that. Okay, that's not how we teach. God teaches you through his word and through the Holy Spirit. We don't leave in the middle of the world and say, nah, now you know you shouldn't run across the street when the bus comes. Okay. We teach with words, not by these things. God does not need the devil to teach you. He has the Holy Spirit. The same thing, you cannot discern the will of God, the plan of God, by seeing these things that the devil does. Because the devil has always created havoc. Anywhere. So, what we, so, anyway, so first we talk about him as a political power. And then verse 8, you say, which the Father had put in his own power. Now notice he didn't say God here. He says the Father. It's the Father God. He's the only one who knows. And the thing is, don't spend your time being busy about it. I remember a very famous American so-called prophet in end time teaching and everything. And he, this is now, this is 20 plus years ago. And you know, this is what I don't know if you heard, but this is something that came from World War II about the Nazis. It says uh, the, the fifth regiment, the fifth regiment. It was basically something like that when the, when the Allies take over Germany, there will be another hidden regiment that will fight the Allies from within. So, but this has become a phrase that they used very often for sleeper agents and so on. So this this preacher, he said, oh yeah, oh yeah. The Russians, the communists have already started invading us in America, and because of they already, they already brought all the military vehicles to America. And then someone checked it out. It turned out being a, a, a police, police ambulance from World War II. And he used that as now we were here. And it's the, don't go into it because it's just imagination, and it gives you the delusion and the deception of that I'm serving or I'm in faith. But you are really just in the natural. Being in faith is trusting him. Lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Cast out devils of the oppressed. Preach the good news to the poor. Witness of his goodness. Reveal God as your father. Reveal what Jesus did. On the cross. This is our task. Our task is not about who is supposed to be prime minister, who is supposed to be president. And you know what? It doesn't matter because everything is in the hands of God. Okay? The greatest revivals the world has ever seen has been not depending on who was prime minister or who was president. It was dependent on the hearts of the body of Christ who cried out. The greatest revival that after the the Welsh revival was most likely the thing that happened in China, where at one stage over 150,000 people got saved every day. That was not because we had a 
God-fearing president or whatever they call him, you can take it anywhere because God is not we are not we are not limited by this world. Do you, do you understand? Some of the great prophets in the Old Testament were living under the most oppressive dictators. But there was a God in heaven. Daniel, remember him? There is a God in him. What did we do? Everything we tried to do to him. But there was a God in heaven. And that's what he focused upon. Okay? Anyway, but you, so eight, now he started to try to get them back to focus upon what is important. But you shall receive power. But you shall receive power. You shall receive power. Now, now, this is spiritual power, not natural power. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And you shall be witnesses, not politicians, not prophets, not apostles, not teachers, not pastors, not evangelists, witnesses. Witnesses. Do you know we can all be a witness? If you have met Jesus, we can all be a witness. Amen. Yeah, but I don't know how to preach. You're not supposed to preach. Witness. Yeah, but I don't know. You know what you know? Witness. You know what? No matter how amazing your story is, I can't share it. Why? Because it's not my story. You know, you know, oh yeah, I show up one day to a courtroom. So why are you here? It's because he's so shy. He wouldn't want to speak. So I, he asked me if I could be the witnesses instead. No, it won't work. We can all be witnesses of what God has done in our life. How the goodness of God has transformed our life. No one asks. It's only we as church who thinks that the world wants us to, to tell them when Jesus is coming back and whatever and whatever. But it, the world don't care. It's only in the church we think this is so important. Okay? You know, when it happens, it happens. But in the meantime, be busy spreading the gospel, spreading the good news. And not, not Jesus is coming back. No, that's not the good news. The good news is he died for your sin. So that you no longer need to live in your misery, but you can be living in the kingdom of God. Amen. That you know you, you can be born again. Now your past is not going to define you, but the cross. This is the good news. Okay? So you shall receive power. Holy Ghost come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me. Unto me. Not witnesses about, oh, Obama is maybe Antichrist. No, that's not what you're supposed to spend your time on. Okay? Maybe it's Gorbachev. Okay, I'm telling you, George W. Bush was also Antichrist, and uh, he, he, he forget about these things. It's not important. Be witness unto me. Now, notice this is a funny, interesting word. Both, both, both. You shall be witnesses unto me. Both meaning it at the same time. In Jerusalem, and in all Judea. And in Samaria. Simultaneously. How do you do that? Through your giving. Do you know that your, your money gives you the ability to do more than one thing? Okay? 
you can you can preach the gospel in America, you can preach the gospel in China, you can preach at the same time. Because your money is not just paper and whatever, it is a it is a set amount of time. Most likely you got for your salary or something that you're giving. Okay. Anyway, this, so and when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, though this is the last, no, this is the last words Jesus says before he's, and he says, "Don't think about when I'm coming back. Think about it. This is the last thing that Jesus said." He said, he, like, like if he knew, well, be sometimes there'll be a lot of crazy people who think they know what, what I don't even know. Okay? Don't fall for it. Okay? And, and when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up. I always wanted to see that. Can you imagine? You don't know when I'm coming back. Woo! Can you? <laughs> Do you think he did it? I don't know. Can you, I, I think what I don't know if Peter had learned yet. But when, once Jesus started elevating, he probably Peter John catch his legs. <laughs> I don't know about it. Okay. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him. Now, cloud, I think this is the cloud of witnesses that talks about in Hebrews. Okay? No, it talks about in Hebrews where there's a cloud of witnesses that's cheering us on from heaven. Okay? Anyway, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. Now, notice, they, they just speak, this must be so spectacular. And, where, and while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, do you know why they looked steadfastly? Because they thought Jesus was just going up and coming back. Okay? Because he said soon. Uh, <laughs> so they were... But they, they didn't hear what he was saying. He said, they should be witnesses. And we're just staring up in, in the sky. Okay? And, and I will look steadfastly, meaning they will. Can you see anything? Can you see anything? Uh, hey, look, look that cloud over there. Is that not unusual? Uh, yeah, I've never seen Maybe it's over there. He's gone. You can play to your imagination and you can see things that are not there to see. Okay? And they looked for. And I think that's the name is of that. No, I, 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 two steadfast as he went up. Behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said. Now, so obviously they really focused upon when is he coming back? When is he coming back? When is he coming back? We kept staring up into the sky. When is he coming back? You know, today I would say something. It would be said, oh, Jesus is coming back soon. They focused upon what was not important. And then it, they must have done it for so long because of obviously something need to give here. Which also said, you men, now these are angels who came, which also said, you men of Galilee. Now notice we say, why stand you gazing up into heaven? Why you keep staring into heaven? I, I will ask, ask many people, why are you spending so much time about Jesus coming back soon? 
That's not your business. It's not my business. It's not the business of the bride to know in that culture, in that history, in, in, in that context, when the bride comes. Okay? It's the business of the father. It's not even the business of the groom. It's the business of the father. So, while gazing up into heaven, this same Jesus which is taken up from you in, into heaven shall come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. You know, you know, when he comes, no one needs to warn you. You will know. Okay? You will you know, but Jehovah, I think it was 1974 or something, that with Jehovah's Witnesses, they believe, they have a set date in 1974, Jesus is coming back. So they sold everything. I, I don't know if it changed it now, but up until then, they didn't encourage the education. They didn't encourage their buying anything. Why? Because Jesus was coming back in 1974. So they're all standing on a hilltop in America. It's always in America they do these things. Uh, waiting. N no, Jesus. Okay. He didn't come. He did not come. Okay. Because it's not, it's not, what we should, the Bible say, when he comes, it says, two shall walk together, two lay in the same bed, one goes, one goes, that's how it says, what, it, what does it talk to us about? Be busy with the life. You've been sent. Be busy with your commission. Be busy with your, what you've been asked to do. And when, while you're doing it, suddenly, one day, he comes, but it's none of our business. Focus upon it. Don't write books about it. Don't prophesy about it. Don't make YouTube videos about it. Don't put Facebook or notice on that Jesus coming sooner. I don't care how many imaginary pictures you can put on. You don't know. Because if you know, you're saying you know more than God. And that's where your problem is. You have elevated yourself above Jesus. And that becomes pride. It's not spirituality. Okay? And, uh, and now, anything, the Bible says we shall know it by their fruits. I'm telling you, they live in fear. Okay? God never asked you to live in fear. We have only good times ahead of us. There's only good days ahead of us. We, are not, we have not been given the heritage of fear. So the angels, so the must have been so focused upon it, so that there had to be a supernatural intervention. Say, why are you staring up into the sky? Don't worry about it. Once he comes, he comes. And you have to understand, everything that God does is self-announcing. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit arrived, when the Holy Spirit arrived, there was not big posters on Pentecost, 10 a.m., the Holy Spirit arrives. Be ready. No, it was self-announcing. You know what? When you are born again, when you get saved, or whatever, you don't need to tell everyone or preach to them. When you have met Jesus, it becomes self-announcing. Amen. When I, when I, you don't need to put Christian books in the toilet, Christian books, posters everywhere. You don't need to say Jesus 24-7 every time you're with your family, unsaved family and so on. Uh, 
you don't need to preach a sermon to them every time you're together because uh, to get a, no, you become their Bible. They read you. They don't hear your words. They don't hear, they don't read your tracks that you put everywhere. They read you. You're the Bible. Did you know each one of us, we are the Bible to our unsaved surroundings. They, they think, they say, oh, I never read the Bible. Yes, you did. You just read me. Amen. This is what Corinthians says. The Apostle Paul says, I don't need a letter of recommendation. You are my recommendation. Not written on, with ink and paper, but on your hearts by the Holy Spirit. And that is the witness. Don't ever think about, oh, I can't do this. No, no, you can just be resting in, I am in God. God and me are one. And every next time the devil accuses with your past, just remind yourself, it is God. It is God. You don't you, you, you owe nothing to your past. Okay? Be busy with the life that you've been given. Be be busy with the commission that you've been given by God. Don't be busy with everything that is beyond your control. What is it, General Pateros when he was asked about in the Iraq war or something like a journalist? No, you heard the quote many times since because it's used to every movie now. But he, when he was asked something about whatever in Iraq and he said this thing, that is beyond my pay grade. Mm-hmm. Okay? You've probably heard that phrase in many movies now. But it was him who introduced that phrase and uh, just, you could just say the same to the devil. Wait, what about this? What about this? That's beyond my pay grade. Okay, don't, because you, it's gone. If you have any issue with my past, go to God. Okay, he will sort you out. But the devil wants you to pull your back. But you just stand and say, no, no, the blood covers me. The blood protects me. The blood released me. The blood has saved me. Amen. That is Christianity. It's not all the other things. And I'm telling you, that's where you find the freedom. We say, if you want to live, you die. Not die in terms of die. That is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. When the devil accusing you, you have to understand he accusing the devil. No, sorry. When the devil accuses you, he accusing God. Remember when the Apostle Paul got saved on the road to Damascus? What did, what did Jesus say to him? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, why are you persecuting the church? Why are you persecuting Peter? Why are you persecuting John? He didn't say that. Why are you persecuting me? Okay? And I'm telling you, we need to live in that reality. And when we start seeing that, we become free. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Father, in the name of Jesus, <coughs> refresh the revelation of the cross in, e- in each of our lives that we may truly see the power of your blood the power of the sacrifice that you made Lord I thank you that we can rest in you that we are not your servants but we are your children that we are not called to, to do but to be with you Lord we thank you In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.